It's not another program. It's not another conference. Too many Christians have settled for being conference hoppers. One to the next. And getting fired up for a moment and then fizzle out until you get to the next one. Fizzle out until you get to the next one. It's not another conference. It's not another program. It's not another facility. If we just had this, then we'd engage the gospel a lot more. No, no, no. It's not trying to be more like the culture. If we could just be more relevant. Listen, you've heard me say this before, to say it again. Trying to make the Bible relevant is like trying to make water wet. It is relevant for every time and every season under heaven. But it is this, the greatest calling to engage the culture and to see God's glory in this nation is to be set apart from it. To be set apart from the culture and to live holy lives. And this, loved ones, this flies in the face so much of what is being taught today in the church. Just water down the truth, be more like the culture, and then all of a sudden you'll engage the culture. That is a lie. We are called to be holy. We are called to be set apart from the culture. And we're going to look at why God tells us this. So before we, before we dive into I don't want to ever presume that everyone's on the same page of what holiness means and what it means to be called to be holy. Here, you'll see a definition on the screen. Holiness is this, to live lives that are set apart from evil by God and for God for him to display his glory through. To live lives that are set apart from evil by God and for God for him to display his glory through. This is our number one calling as Christians. Number one, before anything else. And you say, well, wait a second, why is this so important? Why don't we hear this emphasized? Why don't we hear this emphasized more in church? Because here's the problem. Here's why this is so important. The lack of desire for holiness or to be set apart from the world that so-called Christians live with is perhaps the greatest hindrance to the gospel going forward in our world today and seeing God's glory established through his people. The lack of the pursuit of holiness that so-called Christians live with is perhaps the greatest hindrance to the gospel going forward in our world today. Now, I love how A.W. Tozer says this. He says this. You'll see it on the screen. The stiff and wooden quality about our religious lives is a result of our lack of holy desire. A lack of holy desire. Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Acute or ongoing Desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. Ouch. Totally true. No manifestation of Christ to his people, which means no manifestation of Christ through them to the world. A lack of holy desire. And here in our text today, the apostle Peter recognizes this truth and writes to strengthen the churches in the Roman Empire who were undergoing intense persecution under the rule of Emperor Nero. I mean, we think, we think some of the person, persecution we're getting here in Canada is sufficient. You should have seen what these Christians were going through, our brothers and sisters, under Emperor Nero in 64 AD when uh, the Rome was burning to the ground and Nero, to get the heat off himself from the people calling for his position and for him to be removed, he turns it on the Christians and says it was them. Kill them. 
persecute them. He's literally turning a nation against them in this moment. And so Peter, knowing this and seeing this and seeing that faith is weltering and Christians are wondering and they're fearful, he writes to tell the churches that by living holy lives in the power of Christ, even under increasing persecution, they would be able to evangelize a hostile world that was against them and see God's kingdom advance for his glory, even in the midst of it. It's not, let's wait this out, let's just be reactive and kind of hold our ground on this and then maybe on the other side. He's like right in the middle of it. You want to see the gospel advanced? God calls the gospel to be advanced. He's promised he's going to advance his gospel. What are you waiting for? Be reminded of these things. And here Peter gives us the two crucial things that we must commit to, loved ones. That's just as much for them as it was in 64 AD, as much for us today that we must commit to if we are to pursue our true calling of living holy lives and ultimately see God's power and glory established in our nation no matter what may come against it. Here it is. Let's stand to read God's word this morning. I think he, we, he deserves that. Don't you? Let's go. Let's read. First Peter chapter 1. Start at verse 3. I'm going to back it up a bit. Start at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. That's reason to celebrate. Amen? He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being, here it is, love love this, love this, loved ones, who are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness, there it is, genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Come on, Lord. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Verse 13. Therefore, preparing, based on everything we've just said, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, to pursue holiness in our lives, what a beautiful truth that is. To pursue holiness in our lives, we must live with, first off, an unshakable hope in the Lord. An unshakable hope in the Lord. Look at verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice there where he says, therefore. Whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, church, we got to clue in and pay attention to what was just previously said. That's why we read it to back up in our intro. 
When he says, therefore, what Peter's about to say in everything, the subsequent verses that are about to follow, okay, are based on everything he's just been speaking of in the first 12 verses. If I could sum those first 12 verses up, it would be this. Because of the salvation that believers have through Jesus Christ and the guarantee of eternal life that they now have with him, the response that we are to live with in light of that truth is, ready? Okay, same page. Based on what we have in Jesus Christ, the response that believers are called to live with is this. Look at the second part of verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. The word, Greek word preparing there means to pull in the loose ends of your thinking. Pull them in. Don't leave any loose thinking going on. Remove the distractions or hindrances from your thinking of things that are not set in Christ and what honors him. Okay? Pull in the loose ends of your thinking. Bring them under the authority of scripture. The true believer, and here's why I say true believer, because many of those who claim to follow Jesus Christ uh, do not. Let's just make that clear. Jesus makes that clear. In those days, they say, Lord, Lord, did we not? Did we not? Did we not? He says, but apart from me, I didn't know you. Here's the test of genuine faith right here. This is a big deal to God, loved ones. It needs to be a big deal to us. The true believer is to take charge of his or her thought life and remove anything that hinders their spiritual growth or progress. How do we know this? 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Here it is. And take every thought captive to obey Christ. Pull in the loose ends of your thinking. Say, that temptation's coming to my mind? That's not from God. Pull it in. Pull in the loose ends of your thinking. And notice he goes on to say, preparing your minds for action. So we're living in a state of preparation. Look what he says. Be sober-minded. Verse 13. The sober, the Greek for sober-minded is this. It means to be clear thinking, right thinking. Set your priorities. Or have godly order in your life. Self-control against temptation. See, the believer in this evil age is to be in charge over their priorities, have godly order in their life in all areas, but it must begin with their thoughts. Why? If I could sum up verse 13, it'd be like this. Loose thinking leads to loose living, always. Loose thinking, compromised thinking leads to compromised living all the time. You say, well, I can handle this thought for a little bit. I can handle this temptation. No, you can't. And neither can I. Compromised thinking always leads to compromised living. It must begin. Godly order has to begin with our thoughts. The call to be holy always begins with thinking rightly about how we live. And look at what he says. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded. Look at the next thing. Verse 13, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, the grace, grace, the Greek word there for grace means this, God showing unmerited favor towards the wicked and giving us what we don't deserve. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Unmerited favor. You don't deserve this. I'm giving this to you. And in this case, in this text, it is salvation through Jesus Christ 
and the coming inheritance of eternal life that all true believers have with him and the transformation to complete Christ-likeness that will happen. Okay, this is the hope that he's talking about. The hope that one day we go through this life, but there's a promise coming. Jesus has said, you will be with me in paradise. You will be like me. You will be glorified with me into my image. That's our hope and that is never shaken. I love how John 3, 2 says this. First John 3, 2 says this. You'll see it on the screen. Beloved, we are God's children now, okay? All true believers, we are God's children now here on earth and what will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, that is Jesus Christ, when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. That's that's awesome. That is staggering truth. Do not let that get past you. We shall be like him. Glorified into the perfect image of Jesus Christ. question loved ones is this not worth preparing your mind for is this not worth here here let me rephrase that a different way is he not worth preparing your mind for to see him face to face living holy lives now for the glory of God in preparation for when we will see Jesus Christ face to face and have his image in us brought to completion. May it be so, Lord. This is the very purpose that each of us was created for and the only source of unshakable hope that we can have. No matter what trials we're facing. Think about this. If we keep this at the forefront of our minds and prepare our minds for that moment, no matter what trials we are facing or how dark the world may become, this is 100% guaranteed hope. It's coming. And we are called to live lives that prepare for it in a world that needs this hope and will find it nowhere else. Our lives and being called to be holy are to be a reflection of that hope which is coming and is ours guaranteed. To a world that needs it. Oh, I love that. But if this is the only guaranteed hope we have, if this is the purpose for our lives, and if this is what God promises to advance his gospel through, then why do we go through most of our lives not doing this, not preparing our minds, not pursuing holiness in every part of our lives? Maybe some over here, holy in this area, but not with my finances. Maybe so, but not with what I'm looking at. Maybe with my kid, but not with my wife. But why do we do this? Because the answer is this, loved ones, we're so easily distracted. We're so easily distracted, filling our minds with and consuming the things this world throws at us. Filling our minds with and consuming the things this world throws at us. And we live our lives focused so much on only what we can see. You find that? Do you spend your day focused more on what you can see or what you can't? We live our lives so focused on only what we can see 
and we lose our hunger for him because we lose our sight of what's coming. We lose our sight of our hope. And some may say this, some of us here today may say this, well, I'm in the here and now, Pastor Ray. I don't know what world you're living in, but I'm in the here and now. I mean, I have my whole life ahead of me to try to figure this out. Eternity is going to come eventually. Right? But I, I, I got my life now. I'm going to hold up. To that I say this. In the words of Charles Spurgeon, you see it on the screen. The distance, we have to remember this, the distance between glorified spirits in heaven and militant saints on earth seems great. But it is not so. We are not far from home. A moment will bring us there. Loved ones, do you really believe this is something we can put on the back burner? Think about the magnitude of that truth. You and I are literally one moment away from eternity. a moment maybe after this service we're not far we're not far just let that sink in and here's the reality loved ones this is the day that we are called to live in light of That fuels you with urgency. That fuels you with passion. That gives you faith to know that no matter what's coming, no matter what's coming the day when you get out of bed, you have an unshakable hope if you are in Jesus Christ. That cannot be taken from you. And so how about you, loved ones? How about me? What is distracting your mind from being spiritually clear and ready for action and ultimately numbing your realization of the future hope you have in Christ Jesus that we are called to pursue in faith. What's numbing it, loved ones? What's distracting? Some examples that came to mind. The saturation of movies and television. Why do you drive? I drove by a theater the other day and it's like, escape with us. Why do you need to escape? Numb your mind for an hour and a half. I got nothing against a good movie, loved ones. But when that's our source of escape, we're using it to numb and distract ourselves. How about social media? Facebook, Twitter, how much time we spend just consuming, consuming stuff. Maybe for some of us it's sports. You know, some of the biggest, some of the biggest houses of worship in our nation are found on Sunday mornings in an NFL football game. How about our hobbies? We just dive into, whether it's working out, staying healthy, working on the car, doing all these things. We just dive into it. Those are good things in and of themselves, but not when they start to distract us from what is to be our main priority. Living prepared minds. Maybe it's possessions, sex, possessions. You just name it. Just gathering more stuff. There's my thing. Because here's the reality of this, loved ones. Here's, here's your gauge. What is it for you? Just write it down. What is it for you? What's distracting? What's consuming your mind from being prepared for action? Because here's the reality. We have to understand today what we hope for is ultimately what we prepare for. 
What you're hoping for, what you put your hope in, is what you will prepare for. We're going on vacation, God willing, in two weeks. We prepare for that vacation. If I'm going to chop down a tree, I'm going to prepare by sharpening an axe. Because I'm hoping to get the tree down. What you prepare for is ultimately what you are hoping for. And here, I was talking in the elders meeting and Pastor Robbie said this this week. And it's so true. He says, do not live for that which won't last. And so many people, even Christians, are like, I'm just going to live for this stuff. Don't live. Hey, listen, living for possessions. When's the last time? Here, loved ones. When is the last time you saw a moving truck behind a hearse? I haven't seen one yet. He who dies with the most toys still dies. Don't live your lives for that which won't last. See, living out the hope we have in Christ will not become a reality without disciplined thinking. Taking those thoughts captive to bring them to obedience to Jesus Christ every day. When the world says, this is your satisfaction, Jesus says, I'm your satisfaction. You're not going to find your satisfaction looking at pornography on the internet. You're going to find it with your eyes looking at me. You're not going to find it in the made-up fictional reality of the television screen. You're going to find it in the very real reality of who I am. Prepare our minds for action. And you say, well, wait a second. How, how do we do this? I mean, this world bombards us with so many things that we should put our hope in that aren't Christ. And those things can't deliver. I was talking about this at our servant leadership team night on Friday, training our leaders. And so often we think Jesus plus having a spouse brings me peace, gives me hope. Wrong. Jesus plus more possessions gives me satisfaction. Wrong. That's called the gospel gap. There's a gap in your gospel. Okay? What are we preparing our minds for? And if we're distracted with all these other things, we're not focused on the thing. And that's what the enemy works so hard to bombard us with to do. And we'll see why in just a few moments. So how do we discipline our minds for action to live out holy lives? First off, I've got to say this, loved ones. This is a process. It's a process. It's a lifelong process. It's called sanctification. It doesn't happen overnight. But we are called in the power of the Spirit to take the steps every day. Okay? Number one is this. How do we discipline our minds? Through God's Word. Through God's Word. Romans 12, I love Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says this, I appeal to you, Paul says, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Here it is. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by, here it is, ready, ready? Minds for action, that by testing. There it is. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. That's what God's word does. Look at, I love the words of Spurgeon. I'm riding Spurgeon a bunch today because he had so much to say about this. Look at this. If you think, you'll see it on the screen. Charles Spurgeon says this. If you think you can walk in holiness without keeping up 
perpetual fellowship that is ongoing fellowship with Christ, you have made a great mistake. If you would be holy, you must live close to Jesus. If you would be holy, you must live close to Jesus. And here, we're in the summer right now, in in the throes of it. That's even in the summer. Even when you go camping. Because here's the reality. For some reason, do you find this? It's like we're pursuing God in the fall and the winter and the spring, but then when the summer hits, it's like, oh, vacation. (laughs) Time out! Time out! Listen, loved ones, reminder, reminder. The enemy doesn't take a day off. Just saying. And neither can we afford to do that. If we are going to continue to pursue Christ and to pursue holiness in Christ, we have to have an ongoing relationship with him through his word. There's no vacation from it because if we don't do this, we will not stand firm in the hope we have because we have to be reminded of this hope every day. Otherwise we leak. Bye, movie. All right, how do we discipline our minds? Number one, through God's word. Number two, through prayer. Through prayer. Colossians 4.2 says this. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being, here it is, ready? Here's the test, watchful in it. See that? Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. I love how Jerry Bridges uh, said this. He says, we need to pray daily. You'll see it on the screen. We need to pray daily for humility and honesty to see these sinful attitudes for what they really are and then for grace and discipline to root them out of our minds and replace them with thoughts pleasing to God. When that temptation comes, we need to go right to prayer. Say, Lord, here's the temptation. Here's where I'm tempted to find satisfaction in. This is not preparing my mind for action. I need to be watchful right now. Grant me the grace to replace this with what is true, right, excellent, and praiseworthy. And he will. This is why we need God's word in our heart. Okay, how do we discipline our minds for action? Number one, through God's word. Number two, through prayer. Number three, through the church. Through the church. Corporate worship unifies us to God and to each other. Corporate worship always unifies us to God and to each other. Gathering together. This isn't just something we do, a hobby on Sunday mornings. It unifies us in that. Do you notice this? Do you notice this, loved ones? You stop meeting together and you start to feel disconnected very quickly. You stop coming to church, you start feeling disconnected. And here's what also happens. You lose your passion. Why? Because the church is the passion of Jesus Christ. It's the greatest passion he has. And we start to be disconnected from that. That's inevitably what happens. I'll just take a few weeks. Careful. Careful. Unifies us to each other and realigns our hearts and our hope. How do we discipline our minds for action to live out holy lives? Number one, through God's word. Number two, through prayer. Number three, through church. Number four, through faith. Through faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith and not by sight. 
as God's children. We walk by faith and not by sight. Walking by faith in the promises of God, which, by the way, loved ones, remember from a few weeks ago, there's over 3,000 promises of God in his word. Walking by faith and standing firm on those promises, even when the chaos and the darkness and the temptation seems to be getting greater and greater and greater. Walking by faith and saying, Lord, I have a hope in you. I am discouraged. I am tempted to doubt. I see this situation coming. And standing firm on his promise that he will never leave us or forsake us. And standing firm on his promise that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And walking in faith and not having to give in to that and be numbed to the eternal reality that is coming. See, because here's the reality, loved ones. This nation is crying out for hope. And we as Christians are called to be the instruments of the only one who can give it to them because he's the only hope there is. He's the only hope there is. And this, you notice this, loved ones? This is why the enemy works so hard to bombard our minds and hearts with messages of this world. Worry, anxiety, fear, anger, doubt, resentment, unforgiveness. This is what it bombards us with. To try and keep us from living holy lives out of a place of action and preparation. Why? Why does he do this? Here's why. Because he knows that those who live for what will be always have the greatest impact in this life now. Those who live for what will be always have the greatest impact in this life now. Our pursuit of holiness, this came to mind as I was prepping this week, you'll see it on the screen, our pursuit of holiness in our lives now is directly proportional to the level of hope we have and the reward that we will have with Christ then. What we hope for is what we will prepare for. Hope for the worst, prepare for the worst. To pursue holiness in our lives now, loved ones, we must live with an unshakable hope in the Lord of what is to come. And from this, we must live with, last point for today, ready? An unwavering fear of the Lord. Unshakable hope in the future, living with an unwavering fear of the Lord in the present. Look at verse 14 to 17. Peter goes on to say, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Love it. 17. And if you call on him as a father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. See there in verse 17, where Peter says, And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Now, As obedient children, that term obedient there, the Greek, means submitted to the authority of God. As obedient children, he says in verse verse 14, that means Christians. If you've submitted your life to the authority of God in believers, Peter says that Christians are not to follow in the likeness of the world in the ways or evil desires or patterns of sin that they used to live in as non-believers. Hey, hey, loved ones, reality, here it is. You're a new person if you're in Jesus Christ. The old has gone and the new has come. You are no longer a slave to those areas that you were before Christ. 
He has made you new. And he says, don't conform to those patterns anymore. I used to struggle with lust. I used to struggle with anger. I used to, listen, listen, those things, no matter what the enemy tries to tell you, those things have no hold over you and they are not a part of you unless you choose to let them be. If you are in Christ, if you choose to let them continue to influence you, they will. The enemy will see to that. That's not who you are anymore. Love it. Amen? Love it. That's not who you and I are anymore. You're a new person. And look what he says. We're not to live in the ways of non-believers. And here's verse 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. See, called you. Or he says, but he who has called you. Those that God has chosen for salvation and called to himself. For the foundation of the world. He who has called you to be his children. And again, we see that he had called you who is holy. You also must be holy. That term holy there means sacred. Again, reminder, sacred, set apart from evil by God and for God to display his glory through. Peter says that true Christians are to be distinguishable from others in this world and display the marks of holiness of Christ in every part of their lives. Because here's the reality, lovens, we're called to imitate him. You'll see it on screen, Ephesians 5.1. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Be an imitator of God. Just ask yourself the litmus question. Is what I'm about to think an imitator of God? Is what I'm about to say imitating God? Is what I'm about to do going to imitate my savior just use that as a litmus test ephesians 5 1 as part of the family of god here's a just simple truth reality as part of the family of god true christians will show a strong family resemblance to god family resemblance this is what he's talking about you be holy because i'm holy family resemblance okay To know him is to be like him. J.C. Ryle put it this way. You'll see it on the screen. He said, we must be holy because this is the only sound evidence that we have a saving faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. The holiness in our lives is the only genuine evidence of a transformed life. That's it. Imitating Christ. That's a, oh man. That hit me hard this week. Verse 17 goes on to say, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. See that word judges there? It means this, judges impartially. No favoritism God shows. And we will stand, here's the reality, loved ones, you and I will stand before Christ and give an account for our deeds that we do in this life, and it's not based on what others do. What I mean by that is this. It's not saying, well, hey, I did more for Christ than this person. Hey, God, you're lucky to have me. I got it. No. Well, I would have lived more of a holy life, but that pastor kept annoying me. No. Well, I would have lived a more holy life, but but I just didn't make church a priority because there were so many other things to do. No. He's judging it impartially. It's not based on what anyone else has done. This is between you and the Lord. And here's the reality. This is, not, this is not the final judgment of where we will spend eternity. This is not what he's speaking of here. Okay? All right? 
is a different one. It's rather a judgment for believers of the works that we do in this life with the opportunities that God has given us in his life to display his glory. You say, wait a second, are you saying that I have to earn my salvation? No, I'm not saying that. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. Okay? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, if you don't believe me. Good read. Spend time in it. But here's the reality. This is based on what we have done as an overflow of the gift that God has given us of salvation. What have you done with it? Ephesians 5.15, make the best use of time. Make the best use of time dwelling on what you're dwelling on and what you're looking at and how you're acting and what you're saying. Make the best use of the time. This is where he's coming to judge that. Make the best use of time and how you handle your finances. Is your mind prepared for godly action? Are we living holy lives through our paychecks? See, because here's the reality. He goes on to say this. This hit me so hard this week. Verse 17, if you call on him as a father who judges each impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. See the word for fear there? He's talking about a fear of the Lord. He's talking about reverence. It means reverence, awe, honor, obedience. That's what the Greek means for that. And Peter says that if you are truly a Christian and call God your father, hey, loved ones, you'll live in a fear of the Lord. You will live in a fear of the Lord, which is the catalyst to living a holy life. The desire to honor God is the catalyst for that because you want to honor your heavenly father in every part of your lives, your finances, your marriage, your eating habits, your hobbies, your thought life, your schoolwork, your job, you insert the rest. I love how John Calvin, love John Calvin, love how he said this. The fear of the Lord, you'll see it on the screen, the fear of the Lord is the bridle by which wickedness is held in check. Yes. Yes, it is. Living with an awe and reverence of God does not permit you to live any other way. See, because here's the reality, loved ones. To fear God is to be filled by him. This is holiness. This is Christ in us. To fear God is to be filled by him. And notice where Peter goes on to finish. He says, live your lives, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. What is he talking about exile there? Because Christians, guess what? This world's not your home. Because Christians are citizens of heaven, we are exiles during our time here on earth and should live as such. Even in exile, we are called to be holy, God's glory in the nation. Even in exile, we are called to be set apart and see the gospel advance in and through us that God's glory may be seen in a world that is crying out for it. See, here, 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 newsflash. As Christians, our goal is not to blend in. Let's stop trying Oh, so hard to do that. Our goal is not to blend in. Our goal, as called to be holy, is to be set apart. Our heaven... Here, this is... I was so sore by this this week. Our heavenly citizenship should raise a social barrier for us with the world. That's the reality. Our heavenly citizenship should raise a social barrier with us, with the world. If it doesn't, here's the reality. We must ask God if we are truly his. That's what being holy is. That's what being set apart does. And now, Quantify that with this. This doesn't mean we're going to live under a rock. 
This doesn't mean we go and seclude ourselves in some isolated little compound. Okay? Okay? But it does mean that we will live boldly and differently from those around us. As the world gets darker, here's the reality. As the world gets darker, the difference, this difference that we're called to live with, this holiness we're called to exemplify, it's only accentuated because as the world gets darker, the light gets brighter. That's the reality. And Christians, loved ones, we're just running out of places to hide in this world. You're running out of places to blend in and really call yourself a believer. That's the reality. And I believe 100% that in these days, as we continue to go, pending a revival of the Lord, which he can bring, but we will see, we will see the genuineness of faith. Because here's, here's the thing. If we think that we can be in the world and in with God at the same time, you're wrong. You're just wrong. You can't be in with the world and in with God at the same time. We are called to be in the world, but not of it. Not of it. Because horizontal discomfort, horizontal, vertical, horizontal discomfort always results from vertical commitment. Vertical commitment will always lead to a horizontal discomfort. When you're at uh, the water cooler in your workplace, when you're in the class discomfort, that happens from a vertical commitment. And Christians who live out their true citizenship will always stand out because they are living in a fear of the Lord and not a fear of man. Because here's the thing. Did you notice this? This world we live in is obsessed with the fear of man. You notice that? We live in a world that has a fear of anything but God. It's obsessed. It's obsessed. And it, okay, so what's the fear of man? What is that? Let's, let's just... Break that down for a moment. If the fear of God is awe and reverence of God that leads to honoring and obeying him, guess what the fear of man is? The fear of man is the same thing, only we're putting man in God's place and obeying him. Same thing. Idolatry. See, in our willingness, loved ones, our willingness to conform to this world is the single biggest roadblock for our passion to transform. The willingness to conform. Single biggest roadblock. But here's the reality, loved ones. The fear of the Lord eats the fear of man for breakfast every day. Every day. When your hope is locked in to the unshakable truth of the inheritance we have in Jesus Christ, there is no room for the fear of man. So how about you? How about me? Are we living with the unwavering fear of the Lord that leads us to living holy lives and being imitators of Christ to those around us? Are we? Or is our reverence for God being watered down and the fear of man gripping your heart? Where is it? Where is it happening? Because we battle with it every day. Why? Because we're hardwired to fear. We're hardwired to fear the Lord. But that gets twisted. So it's not a matter of if we're battling with it. It's where is the battle And what am I going to do about it in the power of Christ? Examples. Watering down our reverence for the Lord in our words. Ephesians 4 is very clear. Verse 29, our words are to be used for building others up. Not for gossip, not for slander. 
Are they building up? How about our thoughts? Do they show reverence for the Lord? Our actions, maybe our actions with our teammates, with our coworkers, with our neighbors, in my marriage, with my money. Do people notice a difference? You know, one of the most humbling things as a dad, one of the most humbling people that I can, <laughs> that I can ask this to is my kids. Say, hey, do you see Jesus and daddy? Uh, no, dad, I didn't see it that time. Oh! Right? Like, seriously, just ask. Just ask. They'll tell you. See, our, our lives are to reflect our true home, loved ones. That's why we have to stay focused on what our true home really is. And for every genuine Christian here, I say this to you. This world is not your home. And we are called by Jesus Christ to be in the world, but not of it. And our pursuit of holiness now is a glimpse of the coming completion of it that we will have when we are standing face to face with Christ. And I promise you this. I promise you this, loved ones. Up here, ready? On that day. On that day you will look, not look into the face of Christ. On that day, you will not look into the face of Christ and be let down. That is impossible. On that day. And everything your heart and soul has ever longed for will be fulfilled in that moment. To embrace the call to holiness is to embrace the call to true joy. This isn't, oh, I've got to live a holy life. It's like, I get to live a holy life because of the sacrifice of my Savior. And he is what our nation is crying out for and the one whom we are called to represent and see his gospel advanced in this nation for his glory. But here's the truth. Here's the truth. Here's the hope. Josh, you can come up, get ready for communion. We cannot do this on our own. Can you do this on your own? I can't do this on my own. I can't live my holy life on my own. I can't white knuckle it, come to church. I can check off the box of Bible reading. I can't do it on my own. I will fail every time. True holiness can only come from the one who is truly holy. Jesus Christ's power in us. Okay? We can't do that on our own. And because he came down to earth as fully God and fully man to pay the penalty for our sin on the cross, loved ones, we no longer have to live in the passions or sin that enslave us if we repent of our sin and confess him as our Lord and Savior. You don't have to do that anymore. This is the birthplace of holiness. This is it. Holiness in our lives as we surrender to him and walk in his power for his glory with an unshakable hope in him which compels us to live boldly with an unwavering fear of him.